This is Rotten or Righteous News, and today... I just don't understand why you wouldn't walk that dog on a leash, or walk that man on a leash. Welcome back to the Rotten or Righteous News Network, bringing you nearly new news that nobody needs to know. Along with my co-anchor Scott Judge, I'm Zach Geiler. We begin today with a bit of celebrity news from Vogue from July 28, 2022. An article titled, Angelina Jolie Shows How to Wear PJs at the Airport. <laughs> don't, uh, don't most people do that? Celebrities? I don't, I don't know, Where Scott. Wear their PJs? I just thought, you know, with everything that's going on in this world, like I said, I'm pretty sure there's, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure there's a war in Ukraine, but I'm glad that somebody got paid to write this article. We've all been there. You have a painfully early flight, and you simply want to roll out of bed and head to the airport. Sure, airport style revolves around a comfortable outfit, but wearing straight-up PJs seems a little too casual. Unless you're Angelina Jolie... Today in London, the movie star was spotted arriving at London's Heathrow Airport with Sun Pax in tow, and she wore a chic PJ look that struck the right balance between relaxed and polished. She went the luxe route, slipping into Valentino's silky top and trousers set in a delicious shade of chocolate brown. To keep with the ensemble's effortless feel, she also wore Valentino Giovanni's brown leather slide sandals, which retail for $750 and are ideal for slipping on and off while going through metal detectors. Good luck undoing strappy heels while going through a TSA line filled with impatient travelers. Around her shoulder, Jolie carried a glam carry-on bag, YSL's jumbo quilted tote, which could fit everything you'd possibly need for a long international flight. We wonder what kind of flyer Jolie is. Is she a book reader, movie watcher, podcast listener? One thing's for sure. She's definitely the type to make everyone else aboard feel insanely underdressed. <laughs> hey, you never know. She may be listening to uh, Roger Righteous. I want to know how you justify spending $750 for a pair of shoes. <laughs> I guess when you got it, you spend it. All I'm saying is I have felt guilty. I've felt guilty for for spending a hundred dollars on a pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. I've I've felt I felt yeah. guilty for spending like sixty bucks on a pair of shoes. <laughs> I, I I mean, if I spent seven hundred and fifty dollars on a pair of shoes, I would be too afraid to walk around in them. I don't I don't I don't I guess, you know, if you got it. Hey, what size do you wear? Because if I ever find you in a in a $700 pair of shoes, I'm going to knock you down and steal them. You can have them. If you ever catch me in a $700.50 pair of shoes, you can have them. Hey, I've been working on my speed. It's pretty impressive. But now that we've gotten the hard hit... On... <laughs> now, we got, now that we've gotten the hard-hitting journalism out of the way, let's move on to... Uh, little bit of tech news. This comes to us from the publication Wired, and it's from July 31st, 2022. Its title is, VR Still Stinks Because It Doesn't Smell. 
Could you repeat that? VR, here, let me, let me explain the acronyms, Grandpa. VR stands for virtual reality, like those goggles you see people wear. Oh. Virtual reality. P is in boy, is in bathrooms. Of course they still stink. Good. Yeah, but that's Good not a story, that. and, and nobody has ever abbreviated bathroom BR in the history of world. Of world, Scott. Oh, I'm, sh- I'm sure they have. This is from Jude Stewart, a writer for Wired. Scent is the realest sense. For virtual reality to feel truly immersive, it needs to start stinking it up. VR still stinks, and its stench has many notes. It reeks of rich white guys. Well, that's a smell. Rich white guys have a smell. Have you ever smelled a rich white guy? Yeah, they smell wonderful. I've never been around like a man in like a nice thousand dollar suit and got like a whiff of BO. They always smell great. Like some kind of aftershave or uh, uh, some Dracard Noir. Yeah. You know. VR apparently smells of rich white guys who wildly overfund and consistently overhype the always on the verge of a breakthrough technology. It has a festering funk of entrenched privilege, despite its purveyor's claims that it fosters empathy and inclusion. It's too expensive, and only getting more so. Metas and the crypto community's foray into VR stand to make it more putrid. It also, some complain, smells underbaked. In VR, nobody has legs. But perhaps more than anything, the metaverse stinks because it doesn't smell like anything. Smell is VR's blind spot. Most VR technologies don't even notice the lack of smell or worry about its consequences, despite the fact that convincing smell technology is becoming available. I certainly haven't thought about it. (laughs) So stupid. (laughs) VR... (laughs) VR stinks not, not because of the bad graphics, not because of the expensive headsets, but because it doesn't smell. So they they wanted to have a a smell. They wanted to have a a pleasant odor. Apparently so. Or an unpleasant odor, depending where you are in virtual reality. If you're at a virtual virtual dump, they want it to smell like a virtual dump. Now, make sense of this sentence, because I can't. Smell is arguably our realest sense. Our realest sense. Not sight. Hmm. Not hearing. Not touch or taste, those are all imaginary senses. But smell is real. The sense that most... You know, let me- I don't know. The sense that most grounds us in reality is smell, according to this writer. Which, I, I mean, I think smell is the most powerful sense when it comes to memory. You know, have you ever, you like... be the realist. Like, one of my favorite scents in the whole world is the smell of an old... Auto grease filled musty garage. I love that smell mm-hmm. because when I smell it, it takes mm-hmm. me right back to my grandparents' garage where we had our bikes and and had so much fun growing up. So in that sense, I understand. But yeah, but, but we're talking about manufactured scents. You notice that that the Truth campaign, those people that wanted people to stop smoking for all those years, have switched their attention to vapors because you know 
you can't just have any fun in this world anymore. But uh, not without the truth campaign coming and smacking your head. But they, they, they get all up in arms because it's, you know, chemicals that you're smoking into your lungs through vapor. Well, artificial scent, is that not chemicals that you're inhaling through your nose? How is that going to be any yeah. safer? You're going to get a nose tumor. It's not a nose tumor. And here's the thing. If you get a nose tumor in virtual reality, that tumor's not virtual. <laughs> you can hear the commercial now in 40 years. If you've received a nose tumor from virtual reality, you may be entitled to compensation. <laughs> if virtual reality... Hey, if, looks... you, if you had to go without one of your scents, which one would it be? I don't know. I don't know. Touch. See, I wouldn't like. I wouldn't like that. But I want to be able to. That wouldn't be okay because you couldn't get feel the hug for hug Joseph or. That's fine. You know. That's fine. I don't need to do that's that. That's fine. I don't. So I think for me it would be smell. But if but if you lose your sense of smell, you also lose your sense of taste. They're they're two. Yeah. So you just lost two senses. But I can see and hear. And feel. Ah, smells smells too important because I would rather smell my baby's head than get a hug from him. I know that sounds terrible, but you know I love hugging my son. But I r- remember the way his head smells, and I just you know I get that memory every time I, I smell little Johnson's baby soap. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wouldn't want to get rid of that. I would I would get rid of touch. Well, this is probably going to be your cut point because I can't I can't pass it up. But no, go ahead and pass like that up. Go ahead little, and pass. Since, since since you enjoy smelling little kids' heads, you may also be president of the United States one day. That is true. I thought you said that was going to be a cut point. Everyone knows that Joe Biden loves to smell people's heads. <laughs> and we just won't leave that in there, should we? Before you turn your nose up at Smell-O-Vision 2.0, get a whiff of what whiffing can do for you. Smell helps us dedicate... De- now my head's just filled with nothing but Biden smelling people's heads. Thank you. Uh, smell helps us detect... You are welcome. Incoming threats. We won't eat food that smells spoiled, and we move away from a hint of smoke or gas. We are evolutionarily programmed to respond to smells swiftly and make lasting judgments about them. Threat detection and smell also reminds us that we're vulnerable and blurs the line between our bodies and the environment. These factors all deepen immersion of one of virtual reality's chief aims. Smell also raises the emotional stakes and situates an experience inside our personal history. For sight, sound, taste, and touch, a stimulus travels from the sensory organ to the brain's more evolutionarily... <laughs> there's a lot of evolution in this. To the brain's more evolutionarily recent thalamus, which handles complex processing skills. Smell is different. It's all old brain. Smells bypassed the thalamus, traveling through straight from the nose to the olfactory bulbs located behind the spot where eyeglasses rest on your face. This tongue-like protrusion of nerves both processes smell in the brain and is closely entangled with older brain regions, specifically the, amyg- Good night. Specifically the amygdala, 
which handles emotions, and the hippocampus, which deals with memory. When an important memory forms, you usually feel emotion. If you're smelling something, memory, emotion, and smell will fuse. Hence why smells conjure memories with such startling vividness. The bright, acrid hit of chlorine undercut with stale sweat that situates you unmistakably back in your high school swim team's locker room. The downy mix of rose water, burnt toast, and cigarettes that evokes your grandma's love. Didn't this woman begin this by saying something about white privilege? I'm pretty sure mm -hmm. she did. I'm sorry, Miss High School Swim Team. I'm a yeah. middle-class white man. I didn't have no swim team in high school. Non-threatening smells also guide us in surprising ways. Smell helps you choose a mate whose immune system would combine robustly with yours for strong offspring. You can sense other people's emotions. Fear, happiness, disgust via bodily smell alone. What's your favorite emotion smell, Scott? If you had to smell one emotion, what would you smell? Uh, pipe smoke. That's not an emotion. Pipe smoke is not... Nobody has ever felt pipe smoke. It makes me feel happy. That's not true. I'm sure a lot of people that went to Woodstock would argue that. But pipe smoke <laughs> is still not an emotion. <sighs> what, uh, what, what smell is your emotion? Oh, fear. I love the smell of fear in the morning. Mm. The smell of fear. Parents can identify their newborns by smell. Even after acquaintances brief as 10 minutes. So apparently you know your baby by its smell. Smell is intimacy made sensate. Its knowledge precedes words. Smelling makes people uncomfortable because it mashes all the limbic buttons and leaves us bereft of language. Unlike vision, which surveys and controls a scene from an emotional distance, smells act on us instantly and make us relinquish our agency. All this can deepen immersion. I don't, I don't, I've never once smelled something and then was like, oh, I'm out of control. I mean, I'm not a cartoon character. If I see, like, the smell of a pie wafting by, it's not like a vaporous hands come and pick me up by the nose and carry me to the pie. This person's putting way too much uh, uh, credit on smell. But Just basically, smell the place. basically, they're saying if VR wants to be real, have smell. But coming from an evolutionist, I'm not going to put too much stock in what she has to say. But it is interesting. The smell is a powerful sense. I just don't think it's any more real than the rest of the senses. Call me old-fashioned. Our next story comes from July 31st from the Washington Post. And Scott, pay attention to this one because it's, it's for you. At last, okay. an easier way to prepare for a colonoscopy. <laughs> now you've got my attention. Decades ago. I'm doing three years, by the way. Great. Thank you for that update. I'll mark my calendar. You know, Decades... we should do a live during the process. Let's not. Decades ago, to prepare for a colonoscopy, patients first had to clean out their colons using laxatives such as castor oil or magnesium citrate, sometimes over several days. It wasn't pleasant. Things improved in 1984 with the introduction of a power-based solution that patients could drink the day before the colonoscopy. The colon cleansing drink called Go Lightly tastes nasty, but turned three and a half days of torture into three and a half hours of torture, says gastroenterologist Jack DePalma, a professor of internal medicine at the University of South Alabama College of Medicine. 
University of South Alabama College of Medicine. Hmm. You thinking about enrolling? No, I'm thinking about, I'm pretty sure last time I was in Alabama, they thought that, that putting somebody under pain management was just biting down real hard on a stick. <laughs> Look how far they've come since the I last know. time you were there. The prep for, for a colonoscopy, a procedure in which a physician snakes a flexible tube through the colon to get a camera eyes look at the organ's interior, remains perhaps the biggest impediment to screening. So, the approval last year of a far less sickening prep option for patients was welcome news. Cleansing the colon beforehand is critical to identifying and removing polyps, often a precursor to cancer, during the procedure. Over the years, several newer generation prep solutions have become available, each with advantages and disadvantages, and others, including those in the form of flavored shakes and food bars, have been tested but not yet approved. The solution that most patients drink to clean out the colon but patients have to ingest copious amounts, four liters or a little more than a gallon, and the taste is still pretty terrible. Physicians now recommend that patients split the dose in two, half taken the day before, and the rest several hours before the procedure. Why? What if it didn't work hmm. through your system a few... Never mind, I'm not going to... This is too gross to go into detail. We tell people to chill I'd rather it. just get it over with. We tell people to chill it, sip it through a straw, hold their nose, chew gum in between, or suck hard candies, says Lewis Corman, a semi-retired D.C. area gastroenterologist. Everyone hears the stories about how horrible the preparation is. The prep is what everyone remembers, and it represents a disincentive to getting a colonoscopy. I'm sorry, Miss Lewis Corman. I'm pretty sure the gross drink is not what most people remember when it comes to the colonoscopy. It's probably the giant tube. Well, you know, you should ask somebody that's actually had colonoscopies before. Scott, what do you remember most about it? The go lightly, the horrible drink the night before. Here's the deal. When you go in, they put, a, uh, put an IV in you, and it's not that they put you out, but they put you in a little twilight. You don't have any clue what's going on. I know the first couple times I did it, I, I kind of like, I didn't wake fully up, but got a little more awake, and they were almost done. I don't even remember them getting started. And at this point in time, you're just scheduling them for the fun of it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I do have so a question. I up and I sang Moon River. I do have a question that stuff for you. Is nasty. I know. Yeah. I've, ta I've taken a sip of it before. When my dad was prepared for his colonoscopy, it doesn't taste great. Uh-huh. Now, you're a bigger fella. When you get on an airplane, you know how they have those seatbelt extenders for bigger people so they can still buckle in? Mm-hmm. Do they have to get mm -hmm. one of those extenders for a colonoscopy, too? Just a longer tube? Hmm. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of... <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Johnson. We've decided 30 feet's not going to be enough. We're going to use the full 60. You know, here's here's the thing, though. I've, I've known people to, like, get an upper and lower done before. The key is to get the upper done first because it really leaves a bad taste in your mouth if you get the lower done first. Oh, goodness gracious. I hate you. <laughs> uh, 
But last year, and what experts believe could end the dread that keeps many people from this important screening, the Food and Drug Administration approved a regimen of pills, SUTAP, that studies show works just as well as the liquid solutions, without the vile flavor. It's a 24-tablet regimen, 12 pills the day before and 12 the next day, several hours before the procedure. Patients still must drink lots of water, a total of 48 ounces the first day and 48 ounces the next day, but at least plain water is tasteless. The thing that is great about SUTAB is that it takes the issue of taste away, says Douglas K. Rex, distinguished professor emeritus of medicine at the Indiana University School of Medicine. You're still going to have to sit on the toilet, but not having to drink something that tastes awful is a big advantage. Oncologist Arif Kamal, an associate professor of medicine at Duke University, agrees. This is a good option for those for whom taste is an issue, says Kamal who is also Chief Patient Officer at the American Cancer Society. He also points out simpler alternatives to full-blown colonoscopies for patients who are at average colon cancer risk, including at-home screening tests for blood and altered DNA that suggest a presence of cancer. The pros, it's more convenient to do it at home, Kamal says. Hey, honey, I've got us a fun Friday night activity. <laughs> You know, and I'm, I'm thrilled to death they've got the pills. I think that's great. The go lightly, it tastes nasty, but it's it just it wasn't is, that horrible. It's just I mean, a little bit, light. it's just like a little bit viscous. It's really not worth yeah. an entire article written where they had to go and interview about 47 gastroenterologists. But then again, what yeah, else do gastro... I mean, I just, I mean, gastroenterology is a crappy job, all right? So they're probably just happy to talk about something. The pros, according to Kamal, it's more convenient to do at home. The cons, you still have to sample your own stool. I did this the other day, sampled my own stool. Mine was made out of wood. Also, the frequency is more often, every two to three years, compared to seven to ten year interval for colonoscopies. Most insurance plans, including Medicare, cover these. Virtual colonoscopies are also available. I wonder if it has sent. Although the patient... <laughs> so you examined your stool when it was wood, huh? Yeah, I just knocked on it a little bit. I'm like, I bet that's made out of wood. Virtual what colonoscopies... No, I just got a nice, you know, three-legged stool in my kitchen, and I, and I went and investigated it. Virtual colonoscopies are also available. Although patients still must do the prep, a certain, and certain flat polyps are more easily seen in conventional colonoscopies, experts say. Virtual colonoscopies are not at-home procedures, as they involve imaging the colon, and insurance coverage is spotty. They're covered only under special circumstances, such as when conventional colonoscopy cannot be completed for some reason. The American Cancer Society now recommends that people 45 and older at risk or at average risk for colon cancer undergo screening. This is a change from previous guidelines that recommended screening for only those 50 and older at normal risk. So there you go. Now, yep. We should have a little plug here, a little commercial to uh Say something about the offices of doctors Proba, Keister, and Wentz. De Palma, who conducted the SUTAB study, says he has tried all the preps and used them for his own or colonoscopies. I've had five colonoscopies, and SUTAB, or SUTAB was the easiest one yet, he says. 
You can now find that on the label of Shootab tablets. Just uh, like a quote on the front. Five colonoscopies. Uh, You're supposed to have them, what, every seven years? Starting at 45? Well, it, it depends. I mean, if you got a, a polyps or a lot of polyps, history of polyps, I know. Or um, maybe. I had polyps removed one time. I, I had to go back in two years. Or maybe. If yeah. you're a gastroenterologist, you know. You know how if you like a preacher, you you, you listen to other preacher sermons. Maybe if you're a maybe gastroenterologist, a you just, yeah, you know. All right, you failed yeah. this last uh, written exam, so you're going to have to give me a colonoscopy. Aw, <laughs> Dr. De Palma. Let's go to a more recently, or, or a more lighter story from August 2nd, 2022, from Greg Norman of Fox News. Elderly California store owner fires at armed robbery suspect who shouts, He shot my arm off. <laughs> Why am I laughing at that? An 80-year-old California liquor store owner was caught on video opening fire at the would-be robber with a shotgun, prompting the suspect to run out of his business screaming, He shot my arm off. The self-defense act happened early Sunday at Norco Market and Liquor in Norco, just east of Los Angeles after the store owner was confronted by a gunman wielding a rifle. In this case, a lawfully armed member of our community prevented a violent crime and ensured their own safety while being confronted with multiple armed suspects at Riverside County, or, or the Riverside County Sheriff's Office said. Surveillance footage obtained by Fox 11 LA shows the masked suspect pointing a rifle at the store owner moments before the owner reached behind the counter, grabbed a shotgun, and fired in the suspect's direction. The suspect is then heard screaming, he shot my arm off, as he ran out of the store into a getaway vehicle outside. This incredible surveillance video that shows an elderly store owner turning the tables on a group of armed robbers in Southern California. One of the suspects enters the store with a rifle. Within seconds, the owner grabs his shotgun and opens fire. The 23-year-old gunman, who has not been publicly identified, was later tracked down at a local hospital, suffering from a gun gunshot wound consistent with a shotgun blast, according to Riverside County Sheriff's Office. He remains in critical but stable condition and will be booked into jail upon his release. The other men, police say, were inside the getaway vehicle who were also found at the hospital, were identified as Justin Johnson, 22, of Inglewood, Jamar Williams, 27, of Los Angeles, and David Broadus, 24, of Las Vegas. So all these guys just got together at Los Angeles from out of town and said, hey, let's go rob somebody. Let's go hold up a liquor store. The BMW FUV they were traveling in was previously reported stolen and found to contain numerous stolen firearms. And now each of those men are facing charges of robbery and conspiracy and are being held in lieu of a $500,000 bail, the sheriff's office added. The 80-year-old store owner, meanwhile, is recovering at a hospital after suffering a heart attack shortly after the attempted robbery, according to Fox 11 LA. It's a little too much excitement for that old man. This comes to us from The New Yorker from August 8th, 2022 by Antonia Hitchens. Social distancing fatigue? Try a professional cuddler. A professional cuddler. Oh, get ready, Scott. The other day, a professional cuddler who goes by the name Trevor James 
who cuddles for up to 10 hours a day, sat down for an intake session at his home office in Hollywood. People come to me because they're not being touched, he said. He wore a cross pendant, a muscle t-shirt, red athletic shorts, and flip-flops. When a client comes through the door, I ask, may I give you a hug? They embrace, or not, and James guides the client to an L-shaped couch for an ice-breaking conversation before entering his treatment room for eye-gazing and breathing exercises. Then the cuddle starts, he said. 80% are... This is the worst sentence I've ever read in my life, and then the cuddle starts. Ugh. 80 different positions are available. He charges $90 an hour for cuddling and has a two-hour minimum. During the sessions, jazz or classical music plays softly in the background. A registry of certified cuddlers can be found on Cuddlelist, a sister company to hearme.app an online therapy platform. Cuddlist has a roster of professional cuddlers in 34 states. Missouri and Utah have one each. Ohio has three. California has 17. James, who is Ghanaian, calls himself an ethical touch therapist. He used to work as a social companion under an offshoot business called Sidekick Bromance Experience. James moved to L.A. 18 years ago while working as a producer for live events, including award shows and pageants. Then he read the 70s self-help book, quote, What Color Is Your Parachute? End quote, to determine his passion. He learned that he was a warm and nurturing person. Cuddling was a niche market, and it's impactful, he said, and and proceeded to get two cuddling certifications from Cuddle Professionals International in the UK and Cuddle Sanctuary in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm just sad that there's a Cuddle Professional International organization, but it's okay. In some ways, it's sad that people resort to a stranger for this, James said. At home in Ghana, we touch a lot. He considers practicing his profession, he said, to be an honor, adding... It's satisfying, and it involves a lot of intuition. People cry a lot. He presents new clients with a menu of cuddling experiences to choose from, including the classic cuddle, cuddle positions on a sofa or a bed, binge cuddling, cuddle up in front of the silver screen and binge watch whatever your current favorite show is, and culture club, spend an afternoon at the latest exhibition, linking arms and discussing the artwork. Frequency? It could be once in four months, or maybe twice in one week, James said. Some people come constantly. His most regular client is an 85-year-old woman who comes to cuddle several times a week. A college student had booked an an afternoon cuddle. Another regular is a married man who comes for an hour in the evening. Hmm. I don't ask questions, James said. Mark, another of James' regular clients who works as an archivist, or archivist, I don't know, at a movie studio, said, My work is my life. At least at church you get a hug or something, but during the pandemic that went away. He and James cycled through a selection of cuddling positions. I haven't been held in the arms of somebody in that way since I was a child, he said. James has Zoom sessions for people who feel safer cuddling alone. How in the world 
do you cuddle alone? You hug yourself. Yeah, you can hug yourself uh, all you want. It doesn't cost you $160. You know what? That's it. I'm going to open up my own Zoom cuddling profession. I will not touch a single person ever other than my wife and child, but I'll cuddle someone over Zoom for $160. Listeners, if you want a virtual cuddle, please reach out to rottenerrighteous at gmail.com. <laughs> Ask for Zach. James has Zoom sessions for people who feel safe or safer cuddling alone. That was huge during the pandemic, he said. I suggest they wrap a blanket around their soldiers. Their soldiers. Their soldiers. They have soldiers. Uh, they wrap a blanket around their shoulders and embrace themselves. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like an insult. Uh, uh, down a hallway hung with Robert Maplethorpe photographs is the carpeted treatment room. James lay on a bed and took up the stargazing position flat on his back, and he indicated where his client would be stretched out next to them. He then moved through a series of greatest hits, beginning with arm stroking. I usually start with low-contact cuddle positions, he explained. He demonstrated the peas in a pod, he demonstrated the peas in the pod position in which he and a client held hands and faced each other. We're in a touch or deprivation crisis, James said. We are currently living in an epidemic of skin hunger. Cuddlist has about 140 professional cuddlers in the United States with different business models. The Snuggery, another cuddling service, offers overnight sessions like sleepovers for adults for $425. James meet with, or meets with other professional cuddlers each month to debrief. You know what it's, you know what's it like working with a client who is a quadriplegic, he said. What positions would you use? What about a client who's autistic? Of course, some people ask, is this sexual? Can you get naked? And when they realize that it's not, they are disappointed. One man scheduled a session for what I thought would be board games, but then he asked me, to walk him on a leash like a dog, I left. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask the question. How does this not get sexual? You know, Scott, as I was reading through that article, I was thinking kind of the same thing. But then I remembered that when David was an old man, he had some professional cuddlers. Yeah, he did. You know, I, I'm trying to think. You know, of the, I, I'm trying to think of the morality of this. Like he said, one of his client that comes in a couple times a week is an 86 year old woman. She's probably an okay, old lady yeah. who has no family, no grandkids come and visit her anymore, and she's just lonely. And she wants a little bit of personal contact. In some situations, I can see this being something that's needed in this world. I would never, ever pay anybody anything to cuddle with me. I don't even like cuddling for free with my wife. But, you know, I can see why that this would be needed. Like, if you, there's power in a hug if somebody's really sad, you know, like at a funeral or whatever, and you give them a hug. There's, there's comfort in that. So I can see where he's coming from. I just don't understand why he wouldn't walk that dog on a leash, or walk that man on a leash. <laughs> <laughs> 
What about this, Scott? If this doesn't interest you, I don't know what will. This is from August 9th, 2022 by Michael Ruaz of Fox News. California doctor says he caught wife dumping Drano in his lemonade after he rigged kitchen with cameras. <laughs> well, sounds to me like the doctor made a smart move. Drano. Wow. A California radiologist says he has video evidence of his wife, a dermatologist, spiking his drink with dangerous household chemicals on multiple occasions after he developed internal injuries and hid cameras in their kitchen. Irvine police arrested 45-year-old dermatologist Dr. <laughs> Her name is Dr. Yu Yu. <laughs> Dr. Yu Yu? Why you, why you? Y-O-U, Y-O-U? No, her name is Y-U-E-Y-U. <laughs> her name is Dr. Yu-Yu. <laughs> She's a dermatologist. The dermatologist Dr. Yu-Yu, who also goes by Emily, last week on suspicion of poisoning. She had not been formally charged, according to Orange County District Attorney's Office. Dr. Jack Chen, her 53-year-old husband, filed for an order of protection on Friday. I am fearful of being in the same home and in the presence of respondent due to respondent's recorded attempts to poison me with Drano. Chin's request for a domestic violence restraining order reads, and the judge goes, I don't know if this is convincing enough. I mean, it's just Drano. It's just meant to dissolve hair out of drains. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And let's be honest. If they got cats, it's probably a good thing. Leave it up to the U.S. government for this quote. Drano is a brand-named chemical cleaner that the U.S. government describes as, quote, very dangerous, end quote, if ingested, inhaled, or placed in contact with the skin or eyes. On three separate occasions, I have video of her pouring Drano, taken from under our kitchen sink, and pouring it into my lemonade. I drink it hot. He wrote in a position to the court. What does that mean? What hot hot lemonade? No wonder this woman. No wonder this woman was trying to kill him. I'd kill him too if somebody's like, "Hey, could you pour me some lemonade in a coffee mug and nuke it for about thirty seconds?" Chin put the cameras in place after becoming suspicious in March and April. After noticing a chemical taste in his lemonade and being diagnosed with ulcers, gastritis. An esophagitis, esophagitis, I guess, esophagitis. I don't know how to pronounce these words. I'm not a phlebotomist. According He's to the got filing, some problems. First of all, it can if only you come take, by drinking Drano. If you take a sip of your hot lemonade, and it's a little chemically. How long does it take for you to put up cameras? <laughs> <laughs> In one instance, he said he. Covered the drink with plastic wrap, and she allegedly peeled off, spiked the drink, and replaced the covering. According to the filing, the couple got married on July 4th, 2012, and soon had two children, a daughter and son, who are now eight and seven, respectively. After the children were born, I became concerned about Emily's behavior, Chen wrote. I mean, it's one thing to poison me for all those years before, but... At one point, he alleged she demanded a massage and he declined because he was sick. She stepped on my head until I did, and also began hiding money from me, he wrote in the filing. <laughs> what the heck? I just, I just, I don't know why those two things are related. 
She stepped on my head until I gave her a massage, and she also hid money from me. And to make matters worse, he claimed his wife and mother-in-law, she's from. You can Amy Goo, verbally and emotionally abused him for years, and also belittled the children and isolated them from their cousins and friends. What's great is they have a picture of the Drano bottle on one of these videos, and on the front it says, new bottle, easier to pour. <laughs> the kids are isolated in their own little bubble, with only four family members, Emily, Amy, and the two children, Chen wrote. I'm ignored and not recognized as a family member. When the kids wrote letters to Santa, they excluded my name for fear that Emily would get mad. In his application for a restraining order, he's also seeking sole custody of the kids. That'd be real messed up if he didn't get that. I'm just saying. Yeah. Real we're gonna we're gonna give you the divorce, but uh, we don't think a child child should be separated from its mother. Meanwhile, the judge is in his back office with her standing on her head, standing on his head, going, "You give me children now." That was. <laughs> Where do you keep your money? David Wool, used attorney, called the allegations false and said they are or motivated by a recent divorce filing and child custody case between the couple. Miss Emily Wu vehemently and unequivocally denies ever attempting to poison her husband or anyone else, he told Fox News Digital in a statement Tuesday. As a well-respected physician, her goal, as always, has been to help people and never to harm people. Accordingly, she also strongly denies her husband's claims of abusing him and their children emotionally and physically. You posted $30,000 bond on Friday and has been released, according to the Orange County District's Attorney's Office. She's due back in court November 3rd. We are reviewing the evidence in the case to see what charges can be proven beyond reasonable doubt, a spokesman from the DA's office told Fox News Digital on Tuesday. They have a video of the woman pouring Drano in a glass of lemonade. I, I'm just not sure that... How do we know that she wasn't just trying to declog the glass? I'm innocent, Your Honor. Innocent! Oh, woo-hoo. Woo-woo. Come on, woo-woo. You're better than that. Woo-woo. Woo-woo. Oh, come on, woo-woo. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Rotten Righteous News Network. The only news program that brings you nearly new news that nobody needs to know. But this show, of course, didn't make your life or anybody's lives or even our lives better. In fact, I imagine the opposite. But no matter how bad your day was, it could always have been worse. Few messages could be worse. In a letter dated August 12th, 2009, more than a thousand veterans of the Gulf War were informed by the Department of Veterans Affairs that they had been diagnosed with amyotropic lateral uh, sclerosis, ALS, better known as Lou Gehrig's disease, a debilitating, invariably fatal neurological disorder. Then, after a period of agonizing uncertainty, and in some cases utter panic, the veterans were informed that their diagnosis had been a mistake. Caused by a glitch in coding. Oh. Quote, I can't even oh. describe the intensity of my feelings. Former Army Sergeant Samuel Hargrove, a father of two from Henderson, North Carolina, told the Associated Press in the aftermath of the debacle. Quote, I didn't know how to approach my family with the news. End quote. Wow. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night.